Good evening, good evening. Let's take our Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians, but I want you to open up tonight to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to read, should be a familiar passage to most everybody, and I'm going to try to cover some things in 2 Thessalonians tonight to wrap up these things on the Antichrist that I've been covering. And the stuff that we're going to talk about in 2 Thessalonians is stuff that's going to occur in the tribulation. So it's not going to happen to you and I. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you're going to get raptured out. And you're not going to endure any of those things. But I've found as I've been going through this and I, uh, as, I've, as where the preacher's been preaching lately and where our church seems to be going in those directions, there's a much more serious tone to the Christian life than what the rest of the world takes and the way the rest of the world perceives our Lord and Savior. And there's a seriousness that, I, that at least in my life, to the Christian life that, that's, that's occurring and rising up. And it's, and it's a call to not just be okay with the status quo anymore. To not just be okay with just being what you are but pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Continuing to push forward. All the rest of the world is just do what you want to do. Everything's fine. Live how you want to live. But the reality is that's taking your foot off the gas. And we don't have a call to take our foot off the gas. A preacher's been preaching on the armor of God and taking a stand and being able, and all of the things we're supposed to do to face those attacks. It doesn't say anything about backing up. It doesn't say anything about retreating. It doesn't say anything about giving up ground. And if you sit down, you're going backwards and, and you're giving up ground. And so what I want to read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a reminder of where our vision, where our look should be towards in our Christian life. As we look at what the rest of the world, what God's going to do to mankind after we're gone, this is what you and I are going to be enduring when we get to heaven and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so I want you to think about is what, is what you see what the Lord's going to do to the rest of the world Think about, are you prepared to see him as well? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, that's, that's, that's wild. Paul says, wherefore we labor. He doesn't say, wherefore we sit down and just enjoy and do nothing. He says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Brother Russell, would you pray and ask God to bless the message? Heavenly Father, Lord, again we come to you and just say thank you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for a man standing in the pulpit. Thank you for a preacher. God, I'd ask you that you might be with our preacher, but Lord... We need you in this hour. God, I pray that you'd breathe on your man. Lord, I pray you'd help Brother Woodard. God, I pray that you'd put uh, a bit of the bride on his mouth, Lord. But I do pray that you'd get in liberty and function to be able to preach and proclaim what you would have. Lord, I pray you'd open up my ears as well as the other congregation here, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you'd open up our hearts. Help us do something with uh, what's being preached, what's coming out of the Bible. God, and I pray you might be mine, holy, lifted up through it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you're sitting down, if you will, turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And last time in, in teaching through this, we left off in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. And we're going we're gonna to look at one of, the, one of the seven mysteries that the Apostle Paul talks about. And these seven mysteries are, are mysteries that you and I are supposed to be stewards of. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, that a steward is to be found faithful of the mysteries of God. Now those mysteries include the mystery of the indwelling Christ in Colossians 1, the mystery of the body of the Christ in Ephesians 5, where Brother Russell is going to cover that soon, the mystery of God manifest in the flesh in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, the mystery of Babylon in Revelation chapter 17, the mystery of blindness to Israel in Romans chapter 11, uh, the mystery of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, and then the la this one we're going to cover here tonight, the mystery of iniquity in verse 7. He says in verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. For some reason, this passage is hard for the majority of Bible theologians to get right. They confound this thing and, and, and throw stuff at it that it does not say. And what we're going to see in this verse is what God has allowed, what God is allowing now, and what God will allow in the coming days once he gets the church out of here and once he, once he is ready to deal with mankind without the church present. And you're going to see what God's going to do to those folks, but that mystery of iniquity, it's already working right now. It's already happening on the earth. It already started happening in the Apostle Paul's day. Paul says, in verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes in the book of Acts goes into Jerusalem and offers a pig on the altar. Well, that's satanic. That's the devil. God, God called that pig unclean on his altar. There was never supposed to be something offered there. You have Titus. You have the Caesars. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other Caesar that's there right now. Um, that are over there, you have Nero, you have, you have them burning Christians at the stake, you have them killing Christians, you have people already preaching false doctrine, and then today, we have a Pope that sits on, on his throne every Sunday and says, he's God sitting on his throne. He sits up there every Sunday and says, I'm God, and what I say is, I'm speaking for God, and what you, whatever I say is the word of God, and you should follow what I say. No God-fearing, Bible-believing pastor would ever get in a pulpit or preacher or whatever and say, I'm standing in God's stead. No. If I say something wrong, I'm still a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm still messed up. And if I, if I cross the book, then cross me off. But if I'm in line with the book, then you follow the book. But those guys get up every Sunday and they go, well, I'm God and I'm telling you what God says and whatever I say goes. I don't know about you, but when I watch that Pope, the guy that's on there now, Francis or whatever his name is, like, to me, when I see a picture of him, you can just see the devils jumping off of him. He just looks like a devil. He just looks demonic. He just looks wicked. And the words that come out of his mouth are just foul and just, just utter wickedness. And he's a picture of, of what the devil's going to look like when he shows himself up here at, one, at some point in time in the future. Sometime after the rapture of the church. But when you come to this verse, he says that mystery of iniquity is already working. And, and let's get into that verse. He says, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, if you go back to verse 3, and we're going to just cover some basic English here. And in verse 3, it says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. 
who opposeth himself, who's the himself? That's the man of sin, the son of perdition, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, the man of sin, the son of perdition, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself, that's the man of sin, that he, the man of sin, is God. Remember ye not what I said when I was yet with you and I told you these things? How you know what withholdeth that he, the man of sin, the son of perdition, might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he, the man of sin, who now letteth, will let until he, the man of sin, be taken out of the way. Every scholar in the world outside of a King James Bible-believing, studying individual says that he is the Holy Spirit. Now, in those five verses we just read, please show me where the Holy Spirit's mentioned one time. Every he or himself that's mentioned is the man of sin, the son of perdition. It is not one time the Holy Spirit. And let me just show you why that can't be. The, the, the Holy Spirit is not taken out. There's this crazy teaching that when we get raptured, the Holy Spirit leaves too, and there's no Holy Spirit on the earth anymore. That's crazy. Turn over in your Old Testament and look at, uh, look at Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. We're going to turn to several passages tonight. Jeremiah 23, look at verse 24, look at verse 23. He says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Turn over to Psalms chapter 139. Psalms chapter 139. How are you going to get the Holy Spirit out of the earth if he's everywhere? If he's, a God, if he's a God close by and not a God afar off, how are you going to get rid of him? If he's a God that's everywhere, and you're going to see that here in, in Psalms 139, look at verses, look down at verse number 7. He says, Whither shall I go in Psalms 139, 7? Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Where are you going to get away from the Lord? Turn back over to Second Thessalonians. Where are you going to go to escape the Holy Spirit? So this idea that in 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter, verse number 7, that the Holy Spirit's the one taken out of the way, is, is a lie. It's a false truth. What's being taken out of the way is the man of sin, so the son of perdition can be revealed. The man of sin's being removed, and it's some, the man of sin's here now. The man of sin is a picture, he's a type, of what's going to be here during the tribulation. He says in 1 John chapter 2 that there are many antichrists, that we know the antichrist is to come, but there are many antichrists even here now. You go out in the world and you can't tell me that a Joel Osteen is not an antichrist. He preaches another gospel. Galatians 1, where Brother Russell just finished, says that in verse 6, 7, and 8, that if a man preached any other gospel than the one I've preached to you, let him be accursed. We're to let him be anathema. You're, you're to let him to be, to be a heretic, to be cast aside. You're not supposed to listen to him, and you're supposed to call him out and identify what they are. You're supposed to go, hey, that guy's not right, and, he, and you shouldn't listen to him. He's preaching a false gospel. 
those guys come to Paul, they come to, to Peter, uh, what is it, the, the Simon the sorcerer, and he asked to buy, to purchase the power of God. Wasn't that what Benny Hinn does? He purchases the power of God. Isn't that what your charismatic preachers do? They purchase the power of God. They, they, they think it can be bought and sold. No, it's given by, by suffering. He says that I, might, that I might know the fellowship of His sufferings and the power of His resurrection. It, it's through the suffering and the, and the persecution and living a sanctified holy life that the power of God comes upon you. It's not, you can't go out and buy it. You can't go out and, and, and get gain. You can't just go, hey, hey God, I'll, how about if I put 50 grand in the, in, in the plate, will you, will you give me your spirit? No. But that's what the world's teaching right now. The world's teaching, well, anybody can be God. Be the God of your life. Isn't that what an atheist is? He's the God of his life. See, I don't mind an atheist because he identifies what he is. What scares me is a Christian who won't admit they're the only authority in their own life. A Christian who will go out and take eight or nine versions of the Bible and go, well, you know what, this is what God showed me. No, this is what you came up with in your mind that fit what you wanted to believe. See, there's something about being bound to a single book that says, you know what, whatever that teaches is what I'm going to do. And you know, this Bible says line upon line, here a little, there a little, every jot, every tittle. This book will explain itself if you'll let it explain itself. I don't need to go to some commentary to get understanding of this book. I don't need to go to some other man to get an understanding. I can come to this book and study this book and pray for God to reveal it to me, and in time, God reveals it to you. In time, God will show you what his book says, and, and, and for some reason, we don't want to come to this book and it be an authority in our lives. We want, we want to be the authority. Isn't that the, isn't that the crux of the matter? The devil did not want Jesus Christ or God the Father to be his authority. He wanted to ascend the position he placed and not the one God wanted him to have. He said, I want to be the most high. I want to go back to where I was. I want to be the one on the, on the top. I don't want to be where you want me to be. Yes, and isn't that what you and I do every time we say, God, I don't want that? Amen. When God says, do this, we go, I want to go here. God says, hey, how about this? And you go, no, how about this? Well, who's the authority? He says, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. Your body's a temple. You're supposed to treat it that way. What are you doing with it? Are you letting him have the authority in your life? Are, are, you, are you allowing him to lead you the way he wants to lead you? Or are you taking the reins back and acting like the Antichrist in your own life? It says there's many Antichrists. Every time you say you're the authority, you take on the spirit of Antichrist. The Antichrist says he is God, showing himself that he is God. When you and I make a decision in our everyday lives to set ourselves on a throne and go, you know what? I'm not doing that, I'm doing this. You said, I'm God, I'm sitting on the throne and I'm making this decision. But you know, I found in my Christian life there's something comforting about not being the guy in charge. There's something comforting about not being the one responsible for the decision. You know, I, I, I started a, a construction business a couple years ago because I thought I, you know... I just needed to prove something to myself, I guess. And I found out really quickly that when you're the top dog, nobody else really cares that you're the top dog. And they're, but yet, nobody else, everybody else thinks they want to be the top dog until they see the responsibility of the top dog. See, I, I've had the, the privilege of, of getting 
an opportunity to be close to our preacher and Brother Sam and see what they endure and what they go through. And I'm like, you know what? I'm good sitting back there. I'm good just being the contractor. Because the, the repercussions of, of him getting up here week in and week out and counseling and talking to you, he's accountable to God for everything that goes in on that position. There's something a whole lot easier about just sitting down and going, you know what, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. There's something a whole lot easier about going to work and getting a paycheck than worrying about how you're going to pay everybody else. There's something a whole lot easier about just sitting down and just going, hey, tell me what to do, and I'll just, you'll be there at 8 o'clock? I'll be there at 8 o'clock. You'll be there, at, leave at 5? I'll leave at 5. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do what you want me to do. Well, that's the Christian life. The Lord says, if you'll just listen to me, if you'll just follow me, I'll tell you what to do. And you don't have to make any decisions. You literally can go, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. You don't even have to say no. Saying no is the hardest thing in the world, but yet somehow we're able to say no to the Lord more than we say no to anybody else. The one person we should always say yes to is the one person we find ourselves saying no to more often than not. That's free. The Holy Spirit does not leave the earth just because the church gets raptured out. The method of salvation may change in the tribulation, but the Holy Spirit is still here working, and he, is here, he will still be here calling, and He will still be here be leading to Jesus Christ. He'll still be leading people toward, towards, the, towards the truth. Because without them, there is no truth. So when you look at this passage, look back at verse number 7 and I'll move on. He says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he, the man of sin, who now letteth. And that let there, is, it means to hinder. It means to prevent. It means to keep you from, from, keep you from it. A uh, good reference on that for a definition to is Romans 1.13. And then also Isaiah 43.13. Um, he says, Who shall let it? And it means to prevent or to stop it. So, so that's what that let there, that's, that's not, we still use that word today. We, we still use the word to let. He letteth will let until he, the man of sin, be taken out of the way. That is how that verse should read. That's how that verse should be taken. Those, both of those he's are the man of sin. And in verse 8 it says, and then that wicked shall be revealed. Once the man of sin dies, once he's gone, the, the man himself pops up. Lucifer won. He's going to come in and he's going to sit on the throne. Satan himself, that old serpent, the dragon, behemoth, leviathan. When Satan is revealed as a man in Isaiah 14, 16, he is the seed of Satan from Genesis 3. He comes with a forerunner like John the Baptist in Revelation 13, 11, and 12. And look over at Mark chapter 16. He comes with signs. He comes with signs, wonders, and miracles. Mark chapter 16. Look back up in verse 15 in Mark 16, 15. He said, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 
And these shines, then these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Isn't that what he says in verse, back over there in, in verse number 9? He says, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The devil's going to show up, and he's going to deceive the whole entire world. He's going to deceive everybody. The church is gone. And the devil's going to deceive everybody because they love not the truth. Back over there in verse number 8, it says, Whom the Lord shall consume with the brightness of his coming. This is what I want to cover to show you what God's going to do to him and what the Lord's going to do. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, we're going to turn to several places here. Find out if your pages of your Bible are sticking together if you've been turning them. You know, they tend to stick when you don't open it for a while. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I should. I'm not sorry. It's a shame that in a Bible-believing church, there's folks that don't read the book. And you call yourself a Bible believer. It says in verse number 11, man, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because, man, this is the day... When we get to see Jesus Christ take back what is rightfully His. When He gets to come down and show the world everything they think He ain't. He is not going to be any sashaying, wimpy Jesus coming back. He is not riding side saddle coming back through the galaxy. He is coming full bore on an Arabian charger and going to wear it out. And man, what a day. And let me just say this. If you don't live the way you ought to live right now, you'll lose the right to come back with Him and won't have the, you'll miss out on the greatest ride there will ever be. If you choose to live how you want to live, and the Lord will let you live however you want to live right now and still be saved. But you're going to miss out on the reward of the inheritance of seeing Jesus Christ. Can you imagine... It, it would be like being in the Super Bowl and have to sit on the bench. You're on the team, but you don't get to play. And then when they give out the rings and everybody gets a ring that was on the team, you know, the people in the staff and the people in the office and everybody there. But re- really and truthfully, if you're, if, if you're the quarterback, if you're a lineman, if you're a running back, when I, when I, if I were to walk through the halls of the building and see the secretary wearing a championship ring, I'd kind of be like, why is she wearing one? She wasn't in the trenches. She wasn't in 79 car wrecks in a row. I mean, that's what a football game's like. It's like 70-something car wrecks in a row. Everybody bangs into each other and, you know, you think you're not going to be injured when it's all said and done. No. Nobody goes on the street and goes, let me run into that telephone pole 79 times and see if if it all works out okay. No, you're going to get injured sooner or later. The airbag may save you a few times, but sooner or later you're going to bust your head in. Verse number 11, he says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness to judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. 
And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine and white linen and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that shall, with it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back and He's going to wear them out and He's going to stomp them and He's going to crush them and there's not going to be anything left. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Actually, stop at Malachi 4 first. We'll just work these backwards. He's coming and He's going to burn them up and He's going to consume them and it's all going to be over and they're not going to, have, and they're, they're not going to get a second chance. They're not going to get a chance to go, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. Right now is the only time somebody living has a chance to go, God, you're right, I'm wrong. He says in Malachi chapter 4, in verse number 1, he says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave neither them, shall leave them neither root nor branch. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 14. Just a couple pages back. Zechariah 14 and verse 9. He says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord and His name one. Look down at verse 12. Well, this is scary. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Whew. That's somebody being burned. That's somebody, some fire so hot while they're standing, they don't even have time to fall, and their flesh is just burned right off of them. Their tongue, their tongue just disintegrates into their mouth, and the fire just eats them from the outside in. Look over at Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. Just a couple more. Although we could cover this <laughs> the rest of the night. Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verse 47. It says, And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in thee, and it shall devour every green tree in thee, and every dry tree. The flaming flame shall not be quenched, and all the faces from the south to the north shall be burned therein. And all flesh shall see I, the Lord, have kindled it, and it shall not be quenched. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, they say unto me, Doth not he speak parables? Isn't that what the world says right now? You just, you, just, you just read a silly old book. It's just a bunch of parables, a bunch of stories about how to live a good life. No, there's a whole lot more in this book than how to live a good life. The theme of this book is a king and his kingdom. It starts with a king losing his kingdom and he spends the next 6,000 years helping, helping to get it back. And one day he's getting it back and he's going to sit on a throne and he's going to rule and he's going to set up for a thousand years here on this earth and rule on this earth. And the people that reject him and despise him are going to be consumed with a fire, with an unquenchable fire. And it's not going to go away. And you and I are going to be standing on the backside of that, watching that, 
knowing that you and I deserve to be where those folks are standing. And but by the grace of God, there go every one of us. But by the grace of God, you were born where you were born. You met the person that you met that led you to the Lord Jesus Christ because His grace was sufficient for you. You didn't make, you didn't make a choice in when that gospel came to you. The only choice you made was in choosing to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You weren't saved before the foundation of the world. You chose the Lord Jesus Christ. But Romans 10 says that that word is nigh thee even in your mouth, that the faith of God is in you. God put the faith you needed to trust Him inside of you. All you got to do is open your mouth and accept Him. He made it as easy as you can possibly go is go, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. Lord, I believe your son died for me. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Save my soul. That took me less than a second and a half. That's what salvation is. This idea that you got to work for, that you got to have some second blessing, that you got to show something else, it's antichrist. It's a lie. It, it, it pushes you off. Somebody tells you you got to get in a pool and get wet, they're, they're adding something to the gospel that God made so simple. They're, they're going, hey, look, look, I know God died for you, but you need to do a little bit of work for it. No, you don't. It's a free gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do to work your way into heaven. There's something you can do to work after you get saved to earn some rewards in the jump seat of Christ. And for whatever reason, most folks don't get standing in state right. They don't get the idea that my standing in Jesus Christ is sure, but my state of my fellowship is in flux at all times. I can fall out of fellowship at a moment's notice. You ever been, those of you in here that are married, you ever been having a great day with your wife and all of a sudden something happens and you just fall out of fellowship? Never happened, has it? Yeah. Today is 15 years that my wife and I have been married. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's been perfect all the time. It's been great. I wouldn't trade a minute up for the world, but there's certainly been some disagreements. And there's certainly been some things that just crept in unawares that I thought everything was fine, and next thing I know, I found out it wasn't. You know? Tired of picking up your dirty underwear or whatever. You know, there's, there's always something that, you know, there's a cockroach in the house and it's my fault. You know? That'll break fellowship faster than anything in my house if there's a cockroach in there. But the reality is, little things break our fellowship with Jesus Christ all the time. Little things get us off track. It's not some great catastrophic thing. Most of us are aware and ready for some big thing, for somebody to challenge us for the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll answer the challenge. It's typically the Lord going, hey, how about give that guy a track? Hey, hey, how about turn that off and pray for just a minute? Hey, how about turn that off and let's read for a minute? You mind spending a little bit of time with me today? You mean you spend, you spend enough time with the rest of the world and how about spend some time with me? Yeah, you're right, Lord. But I'm just so tired. So how about fall asleep to Jesus? Ain't no sleep better than falling asleep to Jesus. I don't typically have nightmares when I'm reading the Bible. Even if you're in some of that stuff in Ezekiel and things are flying around and stuff's going on or in Revelation, it's like, hey, I'm on the other side of it. I can watch it. You know, there's no greater movie than the Word of God. This book will paint pictures in your head that no movie could ever paint. But the Lord's going to consume them, and they're not going to do anything about it. And they're not ever going to get out. Look over at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, and then we'll get back into 2 Thessalonians. I really want to try to get through this part of it and wrap up the Antichrist part tonight. But 
Revelation 19. Verse 17, he says, And I saw an angel flying in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that are in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. The Lord's cooked them. He's burned them up and he's barbecued them. And he said, here you go, come eat. He said to all of his creatures, I've cooked a dinner for you, now come eat them. That's what the Lord thinks of man. Man's state is he's good to feed some birds. That's what you're good for is a good barbecue. He says that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on a horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him and the false prophet that walked miracles before him. With he which deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. They're thrown out. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, and the sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Turn back over to Second Thessalonians. That thing, the Lord's going to destroy them, and they're not going to do anything to stop it. The cry of their pain, the cry of their hurt, is not going to bring mercy in that day. Psalms 2 says he will laugh at their calamity and, and, and their scorn and laugh them into derision. He's not even going to blink when he destroys them all. It's not even going to bother him. Because he's, because he's going to go, you know what? I gave you chance, I gave you chance, I gave you chance, I gave you chance. And guess what you see? Look down in verse number, look down in verse number 10. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. They didn't love truth. What's the thing you hear now more than ever when you, hear, when you talk to people about truth? That's my truth. Well, this is my truth. Hey, folks, there's only one truth. And it's the truth of the Word of God. And you're not alternate, and you're not changing it, and it doesn't matter what you want to add to it, what you want to take away from it. It doesn't change what God said. But you live in a day and age where everybody wants to live by their truth. Well, this is, I just believe. I just, I just think. I just feel. Hey, let go of your feelings and get a hold of the fact of the Word of God. I'm not saying that there's not emotions in the Christian life. Heaven, heaven knows there's plenty of emotions in the Christian life. But I'm not going to be led about by my feelings. I'm going to be led about... The, the authority of my life is not how I feel. I don't let how I feel tomorrow morning determine whether I get up and go to work. I don't let how I feel on Sunday morning determine whether or not I get up and come to church. I get up and come to church because it's the right thing to do, not because... I feel like being at church every time the doors are open. Now, I love being at church, and I, I love being here and have a blast being here and think it's a, like, I hate to go home because I know I'm going to mess up as soon as I get out of here. Like, I, I would love to go, hey, you know, I get out of church, and I make it from Sunday to Wednesday and don't ever sin. Yeah, not so. I do really good to maybe make it home. If I just get in the right-hand lane and set cruise on the speed limit and just take my eyes off of everybody and just stare at the car in front of me and pray I don't have to hit the brake because somebody's doing 45 on the interstate. And then at 65, you can't get over and go around them because everybody's doing 80 going around you. 
And they're all giving you the eye and you're like, this guy in front of me. And you know what verse the Lord gives me? Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. What are you offended about, Woodard? Thought you said you love me. You're right, Lord, I do. And I do better to not be offended about it. But you get offended because you think you're somebody. You get offended because a little bit of pride wells up, a little bit of antichrist, a little bit I think I'm somebody. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know what I do? Don't they know where I've been? Don't they know the price that I've paid? Don't they know how hard I've worked? Don't they know all the things I've given, all the things I've done? They don't know who the God I serve. No, they don't care and they don't give a rip. And you're nothing. If the Lord says all the nations of the earth are less than nothing, they're less than a drop in a bucket, then guess what? You're not a nation. You're an individual. And if they're less than a drop in a bucket, I don't know how you get less than that. Ask Brother Matthew about infinite numbers or, you know, infinite negatives or whatever. Imaginary numbers, like all that insane calculus stuff that God knew exactly what he was doing the whole time when he put it together and goes, here, man, figure it out. But we live in a place where one day the Lord's going to destroy all of them because they didn't love the truth. They weren't interested in the truth, and they were interested in signs, wonders, and miracles. They were interested in a show. They were interested in being entertained. They were interested in, in you know, let me entertain you, let me see the stars. And that, the thing they, where is that from? I don't, I've heard that somewhere. Oh, goodness. That, what is that, the Rockettes or something in New York, somewhere in Times Square they sing that garbage? I don't, I don't know, but I've, I've, it's a song from somewhere in the past. Somewhere, you know, one of them old movies that's it's okay to watch, you know. <laughs> What's in black and white, so it must be okay. Yeah, that makes it all right. But one day God's going to destroy all them people. And he's going to destroy them because they didn't love the truth. And it's not going to be because he didn't show them the gospel. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. There's three destructive things involved in this damnation. Let me go back and read that while you're getting to Romans 1. He says in verse 11, he says, And for this cause God shall, shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God's going to destroy every one of them because they didn't love the truth. Because they rejected his son, Jesus Christ. The only reason in this age why a person dies and goes to hell is because they rejected Jesus Christ. They don't, they don't die and go to hell because they were a bad person. We're all bad people. Preacher read you the four nuns in Romans chapter 3 the other night. There's none good, there's none righteous, there's none understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. And if you keep that mentality about yourself, it'll, it will help you to remember, you know what? God's right and I'm wrong. If I'm crossing God's path and I'm crossing what he's called me to do, I'm, I'm wrong, he's right. Because you're not good. Man wasn't born naturally good. You don't have an innate goodness in you. You know what? You don't have to teach your kids to do bad. You have to teach your kids to do good. Like they naturally know how to be bad on their own. They find trouble without you doing anything. Amen. I don't, Emma was, I don't know, nine months old the first time I realized that she understood bad. She, she heard no and looked at me and goes, yes. 
And I said, no. And she said, yes. Not audibly, but she's nodding her head. I'm going, no, she's doing this. And guess what? She found out that no was the right answer. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of maybe her grandparents. Although I will say my dad backed me up. He told grandma to get out of the way. But Romans chapter 1 says this, For the wrath of God, in verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They hold it. Now what's wild is, is your new versions change it to suppress. No, they hold it. They don't let it go out. That's somebody who knows the truth and refuses to tell somebody else what the truth is. That's somebody who, who has it and will not share it with somebody else. They know how to get you out of a jam, but they won't tell you how to get out of a jam. That's somebody who hangs on to it and goes, no, it's mine. You're not qualified enough for this yet. No, they hang on. They, they don't give it out. No, Paul's giving it out. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto Christ, unto salvation, who hold the truth and the righteousness. Look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Isn't that what the world is today, foolish? When you turn on and see somebody pontificating about why She's a him and everything's this way and why. The, 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 the thought to me that the world would even begin to have an argument that it's okay for guys to play girl sports is insane. Yeah, yeah. That shows you the insanity to think that a guy will not crush all of the women. If we lined up all the men on this side and all the women on this side tonight, there would not be a woman left standing. I don't care how tough the woman thinks she is. There is a guy here bigger and stronger than you that will beat you down. But the world goes, oh no, they're, they're the same. No, they're not. The greatest female tennis player, Serena Williams, who won more championships than anybody else, played the 104 ranked men's tennis pro and lost in straight sets. She did not win a point. She's the best woman in the world and she couldn't beat the 104th best man. It's insanity to think that your son should play with my daughter. They've got no business on the same field together. They've got no business in the same locker room, in the same places. They should be in separate areas altogether. But you live in a world that says they're the same and it's okay and we should treat everybody the same because we all have equal rights. No, you don't. God made us male and female. He made us two different things for two different purposes. The man has a job and the woman has a job. And they're two distinct jobs. And one is not better than the other. They both have a, a need in the body of Christ. They both have a need in a home. If a home has an all-male figure in the house and no women, guess what? You get kids that get no sympathy. And if you have a house that's, that's nothing but a woman and no men, you have no masculinity in the home. You have girls thinking they need to look for a dad the minute they get out of the house. And you have sons who think they can walk all over women or they're effeminate. 
says moms, moms love their little boys. But they will walk all over their little boys. Boys will walk all over their mother. Because that's, 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 that's Manning. It's okay. No, he's a dirty knothead and needs a pop in the back of the head. And he'll take advantage of you. Listen, I was the same way. I'm, I am a mama's boy. I'm not going to deny that at all. My mama still takes care of me. She still loves me. She still buys me stuff. She'll still call me and go, hey, what do you need? Like, I still get pies made. I still get gifts. Like, I'm a mama's boy, and, and I'm proud of being a mama's boy. But when I need to be put in check, mama's not putting me in check. My dad's the one going, hey, boy. And yet, 70, he can still call me, hey, boy, and I'm perfectly fine with it because he probably could still beat me down. And if he, can, if he can't do it while I'm awake, he'll do it while I'm asleep. And so I'm still good. Dad, you're the man. I'm not crossing you. I got you. But we live in a world that's gone insane. They don't love the truth anymore. They've come up with their own truth. They've come up with their own idea of what truth is. And they're deceived and they don't even know they're deceived. They'll fight you tooth and nail for something that, that clearly is a fact. And they, they won't even acknowledge it. They won't, they won't even answer the question. They divert around the question a hundred times. You ever watch one of them C-SPAN things with some guy that's talking to somebody in Congress? And they ask him a direct question and go, Well, sir, I'm not really sure what you mean by the word and. It means both. I'm asking you, did you do this and this? Well, do you mean that it was this at this time and this no, they'll spend 45 minutes averting the question because they don't want to answer the question because the truth will set them free or the truth will damn what they've already said and they go like, well, I can't walk into that trap. Because if you ever notice somebody that lies, they just have to keep going in circles. They never come to a point and just go stop. You know what's great about the truth? You tell a story once, you can tell a story again, you can tell a story again, you tell a story again, the story never changes. It's the same story. But when you lie, all of a sudden the fish goes from here, then he's here, then he's here. Well, maybe they get convicted and then he's here. And, you know, you tell a story to 10 different people. Woodard told me the fish was this big. Well, he told me it was this big. Well, hey, the story, it was this big. Is this big. Is this big. Guess what? Everybody hears the fish was this big. But yet you live in a world that says, tell them whatever you want to tell them because it's your truth. It's your story. You need to tell your story. No, you don't. You need to tell his story. You need to tell a story about the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn back over to 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2 and we'll close with this. And I'll show you how dirty and how filthy the world is. Oh, I was giving you three things. My bad. First, uh, the, the three destructive things involved in their damnation is this. One, they perish because they do not love the truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says, Charity rejoices in truth. It's amazing to me that every other Bible in the world changes that word from charity to love. And you live in a day and age where love is one of the most perverted words there's ever been. But if you follow a King James Bible, you don't have to worry about the perversion. Second is they perish because they believe not the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 says, They're ever learning and not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are no final authority in their life but themselves. They don't, they don't have anybody else to answer to, but well, this is just what I believe God said. No, you, what, you believe what your God said. You didn't believe what the God said. And third, they perish because they loved unrighteousness. 
2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 says, They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They enjoy watching others sin. You ever enjoyed watching somebody else do wrong? But look at verse 12. It says that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And let me just say this about that word all. That all is without distinction or without exception. There's not some undetermined group that escapes this. They all will be damned. Nobody gets a second chance from this. Nobody gets out. Nobody escapes. If they reject the truth, they get a delusion and they don't get a second chance. There is no opportunity to go, well, you know, in the, in the tribulation, God's going to give them another chance. No, they don't. They rejected the truth now. They're going to get a delusion. They're going to be deceived. And they will not get a second chance to trust Jesus Christ in the tribulation. And you know what will be wild is some people will come to this book in the tribulation and go, well, I believe Jesus Christ is the Lord. And guess what? That ain't the gospel anymore. Because the gospel in the tribulation changes to something else. It becomes faith and works in the tribulation and it's no longer faith alone. And so somebody in the tribulation is going to believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and ask Jesus to save them and he's going to go, nothing doing. That's a lie. That's, that's not the truth for this age. That thing changed. There's, there was a change that happened. Every Bible except a King James Bible changes that word in verse 12 from damned to something else. Now what's wild is, is every accepted English translation leading up to the King James Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Wycliffe Bible, all the, oh goodness, I'm forgetting the other ones, but there's, there's six other ones. All of those six translations translated the word damned. And the King James stuck with the word damned. Now, I don't know about you, the New American Standard or the New King James changes it to condemned. The New King James, the New American Standard and the NIV changes it to justly judged. I don't know about you, but I've never been on a job site and heard somebody go, well, I'll be justly judged. I'll be condemned. No, they damn. That's the Bible word. That's where it comes from, that they'll all be damned. There, there's not a second chance. The world doesn't get a second chance for rejecting Jesus Christ in this age. When you and I are gone, there is no second chances. When the church leaves, they don't get a second chance because they didn't receive the truth when they had a chance to receive it. And the Bible says in Romans 10 that the word is nigh thee, it is even in their mouth. They had a chance to get it, and they didn't. And if God's not going to give them a second chance, and he gives you and I a second chance each and every day to follow him, how do you think you're going to come out of the judgment seat of Christ if you just sit down and take it easy? How do you, if, if God's going to do this to his creation and send these folks to an eternal hell and they're never going to get out, except to stand before them at the great white throne and be cast in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and, ever and never get another chance. If God's going to do that to them, how does your Christian life measure up? How does your Christian life stand up to go, you know what, where am I going to fare at the general seat of Christ? Is there some things I might ought to change, some things that, you know, I've been a little bit lax in my Christian life lately? A little, a little bit, you know, a little bit, ah, I'll get to it. Maybe, haven't I taken, maybe I haven't taken it serious enough. Maybe, maybe it's just been a little bit lackadaisical. Maybe, maybe, Lord, 
You know, preachers have been preaching some pretty hard messages lately. They've been pretty hard, and they've been, and they've been straight, and I love them. Because it tells me, it, it shows me through the Word of God where my Christian life is and what I need to improve. And so I want to ask you tonight, where are you at? If you died right now or the rapture happens right now, how would you fare at the judgment seat of Christ? The Apostle Paul was able to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. Paul was confident at his death he was getting a crown of life. He didn't have a question about whether or not he had earned it. He didn't have a doubt about whether he'd done enough to receive a crown. He knew he'd given his all. He knew he'd given everything. He knew that God was going to give it because he'd done what was required to earn it. How about it, Christian? What have you done to earn any rewards on the judgment seat of Christ tonight? God's going to condemn all of his creation that rejected him and send them to a hell that was meant for the devil and his angels. And you and I are going to stand back there and watch it and know that we deserve to be where those folks are and look down at what we earned or didn't earn, what, what we earned, whether good or bad, at the jump seat of Christ and go, you know what? I don't even deserve this. And so I ask you tonight, where are you at in your Christian life? Where are you at in your, in your fellowship with Jesus Christ? Are there some things you should get straight? Are there some things that you should get squared away? Are there some things that, hey, Lord, maybe I need to tighten this up. Maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to walk a little bit closer. And you know, that's the only question that you and God can answer. That's not something that I could sit up here and list a list all night long and never hit your thing. But you know the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and He's showing you and He's guiding you in the truth and He's revealing to you what's wrong. I have written at the top of my Bible on this page, light rejected becomes lightning. And if you keep rejecting what God's telling you to do, it'll turn into lightning and it'll sear your conscience. And you'll be where you are and you'll do what you've done and that'll be the extent of your Christian life and you'll not go any further. You may still come to church, you may still sing, you may still do all kinds of other things, but your fellowship with Jesus Christ will stay where it is because you refuse to reject the truth God's revealing to you. And I don't mean to be hard tonight, I don't mean to be tough, but, but I've, been, I've been going through this and, I, and it just, the seriousness of the Christian life cannot be understated. Cannot be overstated. This is the only life that matters. And that look at the judgment seat of Christ is the only look that matters. Because that's where you'll look in his face. And that's where you'll hear, well done, well, well done thou good and faithful servant. And if that's what you desire, you've got to live like that's what you desire.